Women's Sports in this August 10th, 2023 episode. We're only getting closer to college football. Before we start with us, let me send the link over to our guest that I will discuss in just a moment. But let's get on over there. Let's send it to him. All right, guys. All right. So, fall camps, as we talked about, underway. We are in the midst of the first scrimmage for most teams. Now, we'll get to it. We're just going to talk a little SEC West Intel today. We'll get to that in a minute. we got some other stuff, but we're not going to get into the whole SEC yet. The SEC East is going to be next Monday. But, I mean, we got reps are, reps are being cut. Jobs are being won. Trying to figure out who wants to play special teams. People forget about that at times. Special teams very important aspect very important aspect if you're a young guy developmental goal i have no clue why you would not want to go be a an entire play on every type of special teams i just don't understand it i don't understand why you would not want to play on special teams. but you'd be surprised that's a conversation for another day but uh a lot of stuff to cover just a lot of stuff to cover four more saturdays until week one Three more until SEC football starts. Remember, Vanderbilt and Hawaii. Hawaii gives that return trip to Nashville this year, so the Commodores will be kicking off the SEC football season again. Week zero. We're three Saturdays away, including this upcoming Saturday, four from Labor Day weekend in week one. Uh, but do wanted to get to you what we're going to talk a little bit about. What did you think about the Johnny Manziel documentary? I thought it was great. thought it was great. I'm going to give you some of the pros and cons and some things I think they could have done differently to make it even better. But uh, we will discuss some of that um, and some other potential docu-series, documentaries that they could do on SEC football. We'll get to that. Uh, and then speaking of the Texas A&M Collective, I'm reading right here, the 12th Man Foundation said it's closing down its branch that is set up for donors to set, to support endorsement deals for Aggie athletes. We will discuss the truth around this, big nothing. People, The people who know, know this isn't as big of a deal as it was. A&M anticipated this. They knew this was going to happen. Um, so this isn't as big of a deal as some people get. I'll get into the weeds. This isn't going to be a long discussion thing. I just want to get the truth out there. I'm talking to some people at Texas A&M to uh, really let you know what this really means. This isn't their collective shutdown. This was something else that they anticipated. They knew this could be a potential. They'd have to cut out this side of the department. We'll talk to that. And then finally, we've got a guest today, Clint Brewster, analyst and prospect evaluator for 247 Sports, 247 Sports. We'll join the show here around 715, about another 12 minutes uh, to discuss his rankings. He ranked the other day, came out with an article, ranked all the start, all the projected starting five power five quarterbacks out there. They 65, 67. He ranked, left some off, but I wanted him to go through, talk some of the guys in the SEC, just kind of get his thoughts on that. So we're going to have him join us in just a minute. And then like I mentioned, we'll get into some SEC West camp intel, talk about some things for all seven teams in the SEC West. But let's get to it first. I mean, Tuesday it came out or Monday night, if you couldn't wait, Monday night at midnight, the Johnny Manziel documentary. thought it was very well done, um, just real, raw, just uncut Johnny Manziel. I thought it was really well done. I mean, the moment, his legacy game, I was there. It was one of my last few games as a student at the University of Alabama, the 2012 Alabama-Texas A&M game. Crazy back in – I mean, A&M jumped out 20 to nothing. Um, Alabama fought back but was playing – catch up the whole time. I, I don't have to go into it, you know, but you get, it's crazy. It was one of my buddies, actually bachelor parties. He came into town, big Alabama guy. We had a couple guys coming to town, stay at my apartment, fun weekend. Alabama just beaten LSU in 2012, the TJ Yeldon screen uh, at the end of that game. And A&M was hot. A&M was playing one of the best, played probably the best football in the entire country at the end of the year after that, between that game, them roll off and they 
have a great cotton bowl. Um, and just ain't him. But if there's a 14 playoff this year, they had a shot to win the national championship this year. That year, I will take it to the bank. I will take that to the bank. But it wasn't sugarcoated. It was real raw. Um, you can tell Johnny Mandel's sadly still kind of struggling. So when he's talking about his bipolarness, he thought it was some disease like alcoholism or a drug addict. It was kind of sad to see. Uh, wish it was longer though. I noticed the Netflix doc series, and they're doing one on um, the Swamp Boys of Florida. I wish they would make them longer. They're usually only like 77 minutes, 75 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes. I mean, they could make a couple episodes off Johnny Manziel. They could make an episode. I was talking to some friends the other day off the Johnny Man, off the Florida one, just off the 2008 season could be a docu-series. They, they need to start making them longer. I mean, I wish they had interviewed some teammates, Ryan Swope, Jake Matthews, Ben Molina, Mike Evans. So they tried to interview Mike Evans, but uh, the timing didn't work out. But I thought that would have been good. Kevin Sumlin, you didn't see any of that. Uh, talked a little bit longer about his NFL tenure. Um, it was only about 15 minutes, briefly touched on that. It, I thought they could have went a little deeper just overall. Thought the big show show the show, I thought the big star of the show, honestly, was his agent, Eric Burkhart, Johnny's agent, who works for Rock Agency, uh, Jay-Z's agency. He's over the football department there. Thought he did a great job just telling the stories about how the dad had to fake a heart attack just because Johnny Manziel caught him and told him he'd done some drugs a week before the combine. And as you know, you talk to any NFL people. I was always interested as an NFL liaison for three years that you'd ask these NFL guys, how, how, how much do drug tests really matter for you guys? And most of them, if they have an occasional drug test in within those colleges, they don't really care. It's the NFL combine one because it's almost set up like an interview. You have a month, months to get clean. If you, if you can't get clean before the NFL combine and you fail a combine drug test, that tells teams you have problems and it's an habitual uh, offender more so than in every now and then when he's chilling at house at the house. I mean, you know what I'm getting at here, but just crazy. I mean, the, the guy, the thing Burkhardt had to deal with between them getting too hammered on um, the day before his workout for the Cleveland Browns, he had to start running routes. I mean, it, it was it was a lot. It, it, it was a lot. I thought he did a great job. Um, Eric Burkhardt just kind of handling that. He was kind of star of the show. Him and Billy Lucci, I thought, did a really good job talking, discussing about that show um, overall. Like I said, I wish it was longer, but an interesting stat here found out is from scrolling through today. In 2011, the year before Texas A&M joined the SEC and the total number of reported contributions for the SEC schools combined was $252,016,683. In 2013, the year after Manziel won the Heisman going into his redshirt sophomore year, AM collected almost three times that amount by themselves with a $740.6 million in donations. Just crazy. Johnny Manziel was truly NIL before NIL. Like, not the pay for play that you hear about now. The true, I mean, Johnny Manziel, I mean, he was committed to, you maybe talked a little bit more about that. He was committed to Oregon before he actually switched over and went to Texas AM, big Texas fan growing up. But he was truly NIL. The name, image, likeness was, I think most people are for. I've never met anyone after working in college football still being around it that is against kids making money on their name, image, and image and likeness once they're there. I mean, Johnny Melzo did that. He had a great redshirt freshman year, won the Heisman. Could have got as much money as he wanted. Him and Tim Tebow are guys that just kind of jump off. Cam Newton, if they could have, well, Cam Newton never would have had a chance, but Tim Tebow was a returning Heisman winner. So kind of in the same mode as that. About to get Clint Brewster on here in a minute, but just some quick docu-series I think they could also create. Now, they're doing a good job, but Johnny Manziel was a great one. The Swamp Kings one's going to be awesome with Florida. Um, the other one's the year of Mississippi, the 2014 season of Ole Miss, 
Mississippi State, Mississippi State, I think, what, six, seven weeks in a row at number one? I mean, maybe five They before they rolled into Tuscaloosa and lost, but that was a game that's down to the wire. That was a real great season for the state of Mississippi for both in-state schools, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. I think that would be an interesting doc. The Cam Newton story, we all know about Mississippi State offering him 180 k uh, people think he got off for 200 k to go to Auburn. It is what it is, um, right outside of the statute of limitations at this point. But the Cam Newton story, just that whole interesting development from his time at Florida with the laptop all the way through him winning the Heisman National Championship at Auburn, I think would be very intriguing. Um, the rise and fall of Bobby Petrino, even going back to his first Louisville days, when he was the Falcons coach, Arkansas, the whole motorcycle incident. I mean, he had him rocking and rolling in Arkansas. People forget about that. 2010, they lost barely to Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl. 2011, they were last going to the last week of the season. You had three SEC West teams sitting in the top three teams in the country, LSU at one, Bama two, Arkansas was three, having a shot to go have a chance to win the SEC West. They beat LSU that last year, and maybe during the national championship that year uh, instead of LSU, as crazy as that sounds. I think we forget about that at times. But he had them rolling in 2012. They had Tyler Wilson back. Um, I just It just obviously went off the rails, but that would be an interesting docuseries. And then finally, just a Lane Kiffin documentary from his time with the Raiders, there's time at Tennessee, USC. You could even go back his time as an assistant. Um, his time getting fired on the tarmac at USC. And now his time at Ole Miss, just his whole marketing campaign, stuff like that. I think those are four documentaries just off the top of my head that kind of have some SEC relation that you could uh, really hammer home. And I think a ton of people would watch. But, again, I think the Johnny Manziel one was awesome. I think it could have been longer. Uh, really could have dove deep into some more of the teammate stuff, Kevin Sumlin stuff. Uh, they really skimmed by. Um, I feel like the 13th season. They really did. Um, but I know it's more about Johnny and Depp, but that's just kind of the quick review um, on that. But joining us here, I appreciate him joining, getting on uh, early for us here. Clint Brewster, what up, baby? Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, man. I'm excited yeah. to talk to you. Well, I appreciate you hopping on, man. I know you got a lot of other stuff you could be doing, man, but I was fired up about that article. But real quick, just so everybody knows, I talked about it before you joined the show. Clint Brewster, analyst and prospect evaluator for 247 Sports, coming on with us right here, like I mentioned, wrote an article ranking all the Power 5 quarterbacks in order. Loved it. If you have not checked it out, go to uh, Clint's Twitter page, go to 247 Sports, you just Google Clint Brewster ranking the all the Power 5 starting quarterbacks. Clint, how's it going, man? Everything going good in Nashville? Everything's going great, man. We're just excited for the season. I'm, I, I can't wait. You know, we got about two more weeks to go and, and um, you know, things will really start ramping up. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, um, you know, tired of all the preseason talk. Now we're ready to go. No, you're right. You kind of hit a wall at that point. It's kind of like, all right. <laughs> you even get to that point a little bit like fall camp reports. You sit there and you're like, dude, it's all the same stuff. It's like in the first week or two, it's cool. First scrimmage second scrimmage or two it's like you said it gets old but heck i'll be up in your neck of the woods this weekend for the personnel symposium yeah that should be great i'm excited for that all right before we get dive into the uh meat and potatoes the substance of the article just just tell people who are who are not overly familiar with you just tell us about yourself you're i know you played uh i know your dad that's how me and you met but just if you want to tell people just how you got started uh your family background obviously being in football uh just just give us a little glimpse into that yeah, I, uh, I grew up as a coach's son. You know, my dad was a tight ends coach in college and in the NFL. So I've been around some uh, some great coaches like Marty Schottenheimer in the NFL, Mike Shanahan. Uh, my dad coached with Mac Brown for, for a long time and, and uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher, um, 
you know, and, and a lot of good coaches. And now, now he's with Deion Sanders. So that's, that's cool. It's different. Um, you know, I'm excited to see what Colorado does this year, but I was a quarterback in high school and, and, um, I ended up going to university of Minnesota to, to play quarterback. And then I transferred to Tennessee tech and ended up there. And now I've been in, in Nashville working for 24 seven, um, doing rankings for them um, for about the past nine years. Awesome. Awesome. And for people who don't know, uh, Clint, that is Tim Bruce, like he mentioned, been a numerous uh, tight, he's been a tight end coach everywhere, but head coach at Minnesota, uh, as he would tell me, found Antonio Gates when he's with the Chargers, as you mentioned, when Marty Schottenheimer, one of the best tight end coaches of all time. But again, let's get into this article real quick, Clint. Now, like I mentioned, you you ranked all 69 quarterbacks the Power 5. What, what's the first step in all this? What is Intel? What is the first thing Clint is doing when he's putting this list together? Just so that people kind of know the data, the step-by-step process. Uh, this has had to be tedious, so I'm interested in hearing this too. Yeah, we, we took every piece of data and information that we could get. Um, obviously, you want Power 5 proven production, first of all. Then we look at their in, their NFL potential, you know, what kind of NFL potential they have. And, we you know, we look at everything from, you know, everything on pro football focus um, to their, you know, obviously their 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 tape. You know, were they a winner? Were they uh, um, uh, a fourth quarter production rate? You know, their clutch throws. Um, you know, we just we look at every you know every possible thing we can i've been working on this all summer there was a lot of tape to watch as you can imagine for all all 69 um uh, power five quarterbacks and it was just a uh it was a very long tedious process a lot of uh film watching probably you know six seven hours of film a day and um it was uh it was fun to, to put together you know no that's fun so i i can imagine you the the fruit of your labor, you've seen it. Per, I, I saw you on 247 Sports with Cooper and them talking about it. Obviously, the article was outside. That's why I reached out, wanted you to talk about this. But uh, you mentioned um, a couple guys from the SEC East in particular, quarterbacks in the SEC East, Devin Leary, Spencer Rattler, Joe Milton, and Carson Beck and some guys who are filling in this top 25, I feel like. What's some of the strengths and weaknesses you see of those guys? Just leading off with Devin Leary, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, Devin Leary, he's so sound fundamentally, you know, his pocket mechanics and and um, his fundamentals are just are so, so good. You know, how he holds the ball in the pocket with two hands, how he hitches up in the pocket against rush pressure. I just I, that's what really, really stuck out to me. It was just his ability to um, play fundamental, sound quarterback play, really good decision maker you know, he threw 35 touchdowns, I think it was, in 2021 before getting injured. So he's extremely productive, makes really good decisions. Um, I, I think that he has a huge year at Kentucky, especially with Lyme Cohen coming back, you know, from the from the Rams. Um, you know, that should be huge for him because of especially what he did with Will Levis back in 2021. I mean, you can't can't say that he didn't get the best out of, of Will Levis. Um, you know, I'm really excited to see Devin Leary uh, this, this season. Yeah, and you're talking about Liam Cohen coming back. I mean, then I think it's the best Kentucky wide receiver group potentially in program history. We got like Tavon Robinson, Dane Key, uh, and who's the, who's the other guy I'm missing here? Um, Dane Key, Tavon Robinson, other was close to mind. But they got a deep 
wide receiver room, and then the tight ends like Jordan Deagle, they weren't bad either. So you're right. Devin Leary's got a real shot. Spencer Rattler, Joe Milton, Carson Beck, anything to add on those guys' strengths, their game that you like that kind of stood out from you doing this research? Yeah, they're all really talented. You know, they're, you know, one of those guys, I keep posing the question to people, who out of Spencer Rattler, Joe Milton, and Carson Beck is really going to have a breakout season? One of those, those guys are so talented. They've got players around them, which one is really going to rise above, you know, and it's, it's such a, a tough call, you know, and I've, I, I really think that that Joe Milton could have a huge year with being in Josh Heupel's system a couple seasons, and he's got experience under his belt. Obviously, everybody knows he can throw the football a mile. Um, but I, I, I love um, Spencer Rattler, too, what he did at the end of this, this season in, in 2022. I mean, talk about having just, you know, such a, a down – year for the most part and then the last couple games I mean he just caught fire and showed people exactly what he could do what we've been waiting for you know six touchdowns against Tennessee and just he has such as such an explosive arms it's so aesthetically pleasing to watch him play the position he's kind of like a, a Steph Curry when he gets in the in the zone you know he just there's 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 no getting him out of that zone you know he's um, the only problem is how to keep him in that zone, how to get him uh, away from those errant throws that he had and, and trusting his arm too much. Um, you know, obviously, who else? We have Carson Beck there. Yep. I think, I think um, you know, that with the players that he has around him uh, can be really good. Obviously, he's got the best tight ends in the country. Um, but he was he's one that some people say is a lot like Drake May and could have uh, that Heisman type of year because he's he's six five. He sees the field really well. He manages the game. I think he's he's pretty smart and cerebral. Um, you know, you just want to see him, you know, kind of drive the bus and, and make those vertical shots down the field that they're going to have um, and, and really not try to do too much. That's why Stetson Bennett was so good for. Georgia because he just he just managed the game he to play management was so good for him um and and uh, I think that if if Carson Beck can can do the same that same type of thing he can be really good there and um you know it'll be interesting to see who kind of rises out of those three quarterbacks I think yeah that, that was kind of my next question leading into it. it can be good or bad but if someone were to move up or, or down on the list from what you initially ranked them um, early this week, who, who in the SEC, who would it be? It could be guys outside the top 25, yeah. a guy who you think could move up and move down from the league. Yeah, I think you can make a great case for K.J. Jefferson. He's at number 18, and a lot of Arkansas fans weren't too happy about that. You know, and our, our message boards, they, they let me have it, which is uh, – I think they have – I think they have a bit of a point there. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's hard not to like him with his toughness. You know, he's thrown 24-plus touchdowns the past two years. His, his touchdown-to-interception ratio was pretty good. You know, when watching his tape, you don't see the – maybe sometimes the the sharpness in his fundamentals and in, in, in the passing, his accuracy kind of lacks at, at times, you know, and at times it's really good. I, I, uh, I think that he's really solid overall. You know, when watching the tape, I think against Liberty was a little bit concerning. You know, they they obviously lost to Liberty. He had a, a couple rough outings against their 
their stiffest opponents at um, Arkansas. But he also played really good at times. And like I said, overall, he's he's very solid. Um, you know, I, I want to see him have a, another good year and kind of not make those same mistakes that he that he has in the past. But you gotta love his his size and his toughness, his ability to kind of get out of trouble in the pocket and shrug people off in the pocket. You know, you gotta love him at 6'5", 245, you know. Anybody you fight could potentially fall down or you kind of go in with KJ Jefferson. It wouldn't shock you either way. He moves up on that list or he goes down. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it wouldn't shock me. I, we have Jaden Daniels ranked pretty high um, at number seven. Yeah. I, like, I like him, but you kind of want to see him take the governor off and really, really throw the ball at times down the field. You know, I think he's guiding it. He's trying to play real mistake free football too much um obviously he's got a great backup behind him in Garrett Nussmeyer so he might be trying to play too perfect you know he's kind of worried is he on a short leash with with Garrett Nussmeyer back there obviously we saw what Garrett Nussmeyer can do um in the SEC championship game against Georgia um and the plays that he made at the end of the game but you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if a lot if if people saw Garrett Nussmeyer more um, next year. You know, we'll we'll just we'll we'll have to see. But I, I think that LSU wants more out of Jaden Daniels. You know what I'm saying? I, I think Brian Kelly has said that in the past. Like he wanted him to test those tight windows and and throw the ball and unleash it downfield more. You, you do wish he had a little bit more of like a little bit of an arrogant arm, like a little bit more of that where it's like not Brett Farvish here, but like, come on, man. Like you said, when he let loose, yeah. it looked like he got a little bit more comfortable. He looked solid at the end of the year. I mean, Jane Daniels was your first quarterback off the board, right? In the SEC at seven. Yep. Yep. I, I think I, yeah, I think that the, the ceiling is really high for me through 68 touchdowns as a, as a senior in high school, just to expound on him a little bit more. And, and I really liked him. I thought that he was like Deshaun Watson coming out of high school, but um, you know, I, I, he, he's still, he's only 200 pounds. You know, you want to see him get bigger and stronger, but you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do at, at quarterback to see if he can really, you know, up his level of play and what, what he does against Florida state in the opener. For sure, for sure. And we'll get to that question here in a minute. But so you had Jaden Daniels from LSU at seven. Then the next one, uh, next SEC guy was Devin Leary at Kentucky at 11. Spencer Rattler from South Carolina at 12th. Uh, then we roll into Will Rogers at 16th from Mississippi State. KJ Jefferson, we mentioned earlier, there at 18th. Joe Milton, 20th. Carson Beck, 22nd. And then just outside, Jackson Dart sitting at 26th. So, Clint, just my next question for you here. You didn't evaluate Ty Simpson or Peyton Thorne. Did you watch them at all in, in the uh, in, in the during your research, gathering all the, this information? I saw you put Jalen Milrow there, so I'm assuming you're expecting him to win that job in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I, I think that from the intel that we've gathered at 24/7, and what our reporters say, they they think that Jay uh, that Milrow has a leg up right now. You know, but but who knows? You know, I. I I mean, that everybody's looking at that quarterback battle, you know, maybe Tyler Buckner with his um, experience and his familiarity with um, with the offensive coordinator there at, at Alabama. 
Um, but I, I watched Ty Simpson a lot in high school. I think that he's, you know, a, a talented passer. You know, you wanted to see him as well get bigger and stronger and be able to make those drive throws down the field and be kind of more of a commanding leader and, and kind of take over things. I think that he's he's kind of a shy, more um, laid back type of of kid you know I think that that Saban wants him to be more authoritative and and you know be that kind of vocal leader out there but um but that's it's really interesting you know I I you know Jalen Milrose obviously a guy that they need on the field with his running ability there he's such a strong runner like I've I've told people I've I've had People tell me in the past that he would he would be a, a four or five star running back, you know, if he played the running back position, you know, with how big and strong he is, how explosive he is as a runner. Um, but obviously, you want to see him be more of a natural passer. I think that that's the big thing with him is is can he be a natural passer and do enough in the passing game for them to uh, to to for them to be as good as they want to be at Alabama. And this question just came to me while you're talking here, but. You were a power five quarterback, so you sat in these rooms before. Just the die, just you yourself being in the position you'd been you'd been in as a power five quarterback at Minnesota. What do you think kind of the dynamic is for all three of those guys rolling into that? You know, Jalen Milrose played he's played the most obviously at Alabama, not in general, but at Alabama more so than the other two guys. You got Ty Simpson kind of sitting there as a guy that hadn't really played much in a game, uh, but kind of the guy that people think probably had a leg up going into the fall game. Then you got Tyler Buckner coming in. Just as a transfer guy, wasn't there in the spring. What what do you think is kind of the dynamic in that room? Again, you set in a quarterback position group at that level, at the power five level. Just you sit being in that chair, being under center, I guess you would say. What is kind of the dynamic of them working together on a day-to-day basis? How do you feel like in the in the, in the locker room kind of embracing? Because Nick Saban always talks about who wins the team is very important. I think Jalen Milrow kind of has that right now. But I just wanted to hear your two thoughts as someone who'd been in that situation before. Yeah, it's just going to be who's like the alpha male, you know, who who really uh, pops up and is is the most natural and, and the most comfortable in their skin, the most authoritative leader there, you know, who's not afraid to, to get in a guy's face, who's not afraid to tell a guy that he ran the wrong route, to not afraid to get after the offensive line. And things can be tense, you know, in the in the quarterback room and just so competitive especially nowadays with transfer portal and NIL and, and all that, you know, um, but, you know, it, it, it can be tense because there's, it's just so competitive and, and the coaches try to bring that competitiveness out of them um, in practice and especially Nick Saban and how he gets after the quarterbacks and tries to light a fire underneath them Um but I, I think it can be extremely competitive because there's three quarterbacks and you're all you're all trying to get reps. So you need to just take advantage of every single one. That's the biggest thing is it's so hard because you, you might not get a ton of reps. So it's it's just doing as much as you can in the film room, in practice and watching the other guys, you know, studying the other guys and making sure that you don't make the same mistakes as as those other guys who are, who are, you know, are, might be a, ahead of you, might have another rep, you know, or, or that kind of thing. 
Absolutely. Two more questions before we get you out of here. And again, we are here with Clint Brewster right now, uh, prospect evaluator, recruiting analyst for 24-7 sports, 247 sports, whatever you call it, um, from a fan perspective, whatever you call it. But two more here. Now, from a – out of all the SEC quarterbacks you mentioned, specifically probably in the top 25, you could say whoever you want out of all the ones you've evaluated. Who probably is the most pressured to perform to help uh, their team reach their absolute – max ceiling in your opinion who's probably under the most pressure you think where their performance is really gonna have a big indication how far their team i mean you can make an argument for all but who do you think the most yeah like you said like all of them are are uh have a lot of pressure but you know it's tough not to say joe milton we've already talked about him quite a bit but you know i think that with tennessee obviously their defense isn't exactly amazing so there's so much pressure on their offense to score points. And if he doesn't score points, man, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be, they're not going to be happy there. And, and um, he's all, he's already lost the starting job twice, you know, at Michigan um, and then at Tennessee in 2021. And, and um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on him to perform. I think he's in his fifth year there. And, and uh, you know, if, if Tennessee doesn't have a quarterback that can perform, the whole the team as a whole isn't going to be great with their the with the lack of defense that they've had in the past. You know, I don't want to speak for that this year. Who knows how their defense will be this year? But it, it hasn't been great under Josh Josh Heupel there in the past. So I think that there's there's tons of pressure on uh, Joe Milton. But um, you know, like you said, there's 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 pressure on all these guys um, in the in the SEC. I think especially the the first year ones and, and Spencer Rattler, obviously Carson Beck there with, you know, um, after Georgia's won two national championships, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to perform. Absolutely. Absolutely. Last question again, appreciate you joining us. Now there's five quarterbacks you had in the top 25 that will play against SEC teams at some point in a non-conference play. Obviously you had Drake May, number one, overall number one from North Carolina, Quinn Ewers from Texas, Will Howard from Kansas state, Cam Rising, from Utah, and then Jordan Travis from Florida State. Out of these five guys that will face SEC opponents in non-conference play this year, which one of those matchups, which one of those quarterbacks matchups intrigues you the most? I really love Quinn Ewers, and, and I want to see him against Alabama. Obviously, everybody saw him last season um, before he got hurt and what he was doing. And uh, I think he had one or two drives against Alabama to start the game. And, you know, you saw him march down the field pretty easily, you know, and, and uh, I, I want to see if he can do that again. You know, obviously you don't want to see him get hurt. You want to see him play the whole game, but um, you know, Quinn Ewers makes throws that I feel like only maybe three or four NFL uh, quarterbacks can make. You know, and you just want to see him um, just don't not make those errant throws and value the football more. Um, it was, you know, it's got it had to be pretty frustrating as a, a Texas fan and, and to see what he did against Oklahoma and then him go out the next game and, and you know, not have a great game. So it's got to be uh, it's got to be frustrating. But I want to see uh, I want to see what he does against Alabama. I mean, I'm so excited with with his arm talent. Um, to see a, a kid like him against Alabama um, in Tuscaloosa, I believe it is this year. Yep. Um, you know, that, that should uh, must see TV right there. 
No, absolutely. No, absolutely. Well, Clint, I appreciate you joining us, man. I appreciate you taking the time on this absolutely. Thursday night. Uh, if you aren't already following him, go follow Clint Brewster at Clint Brew 247. Again, recruiting analyst, prospect evaluator at 24-7 Sports. Clint, I appreciate you joining us, brother. All right. I'll see you in Nashville. See you, brother. See you this weekend. Yeah. Clint Brewster, appreciate it, guys. If you have a shot, go uh, go listen or go read that article. He goes real in depth. He ranks all 69. I think he really only gives an eval for his top 25, but he'll go through everybody else. Real good article. Thought he'd be good on uh, good uh, good person, good guest to get on um, in the middle of fall campus. Again, we approach a massive week, big scrimmages towards the end of the week, um, if not on Saturday. But transitioning over. Uh, I promise you we would talk about Texas A&M Collective closing off a branch. Um, first, their main collective, I'm talking to people, it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. They anticipated this. This was just an extra collective from what I've been told that they were trying to get fans, donors to get involved with and try to get people to be able to write it off as a tax write-off expense at the end of the year. And the IRS came in. The IRS came in. Government came in and said no. Uh, so they discontinued this branch, discontinued this branch. Um, the 12th Man Foundation did, and they figured a majority of people just aren't going to donate um, really for no reason. I feel like that's kind of a stigma in college football. A lot of people think all these schools just have these donors lining up to drop money. I mean, hey, there's a, prices are higher now. Me, me and my wife were just talking last night. A lot of people aren't renting condos in college towns this year because they can spend their money elsewhere. So, so people just don't, even at the best of the best schools with the Donors with the deepest pockets at Texas A&M aren't just donating unless they could get maybe a loophole where they could write it off. So that's what they were trying to do. Uh, A&M was trying to play a chestnut checkers game, but the government IRS came in, told them no. So they, they just cut that off. They still have their main collective, the 12-man collective, uh, coming in, and it's still a functional organization. So I see people just want to address that people on social media saying, well, what's A&M? They can't pay these kids now. No, this was just an extra branch they were trying to get expand get more donors like hey if you donate here this is i mean this is a tax write-off you could get this off irs said no so that's what it is but their main collective is still intact it's what it is we're not going to get in the weeds of that it's football season here uh but let's just go to some fall camp intel fall camp intel from the sec west alabama they're saying the right things i mean everybody um jermaine burton saying the right things the offensive linemen are saying the right things guys like tyler booker terrence ferguson uh, even nick saban they're all saying the right things. This team wants to be good. They have a real connection with each other this year. But speaking of Terrence Ferguson, Nick Saban's considering him a starter at one of the guard spots already. Uh, the Peach County uh, native just was always always had the athleticism and quick twitch, but he's added weight, gotten stronger. That's going to help this year. So he's considered a starter right now, whether that means he's fifth or sixth. To Nick Saban, I think he just considers some of these guys rotational. So, that's, so I think that's where he kind of fits in. But right now I'd say we'd be in the starting lineup. Uh, moving to the quarterback play, I know people anticipate that. I think Jalen Milrow's going to get uh, the first, first, first team, I guess you would say, reps in Saturday scrimmage. I think he's going to get the first reps. Right now, I think it's Jalen Milrow. If you haven't watched, there's an 18-minute clip of Alabama's kind of skelly period, 11 on 11, going back and forth at Bryant Denny Stadium at the open practice the other day. It's 18 minutes. It was, it was an 18-minute period. Um, and for you 
people don't know, a period is probably about anywhere from 22, 28 periods in a college football team's practice, anywhere going from six to eight minutes, three to four minutes, or even a long team period going 18 to 20 minutes, like the one I'm talking about. But you can go Google or you can go YouTube it. Uh, wasn't a great display of quarterback. Not a great quarterback display on all three of them, really. I mean, Dylan Lonergan may have been one of the more impressive ones, but between Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, uh, and Tyler Buckner, it wasn't overly impressive. I think right now Jalen Milrow has just been the most consistent guy, still holding the ball a little too long at times, not anticipating receivers being open, and that is his biggest weakness right now. It's just anticipating wide receivers being open in the system. I think some of these simpler throws, these tight ends may help him, but he's going to have to learn to have a little bit more hand talent on these corner routes. They're going to ask him to throw to the tight ends. Um, and also, in these scrimmages coming up, keep in mind that it does not display Jalen Milrow's strength. He's going to be in a black jersey. Black jerseys, Alabama always puts their quarterbacks in, so his ability to run will not be displayed in that. But there will be a big scrimmage. But I do think he's going to get the first reps with the first team. So let that sit in right now. Um, but again, it will not show his full strength. So let that sit in. But that's really all we got from Alabama's Intel right now. The team feels like they're saying all the right things. They want to win a championship. They're not about stats. Getting back to the disciplined, physical turnover, uh, the lack of turnovers. Not really an Alabama offensively turned over last year, but the defense trying to create more turnovers uh, this year. So that's where we're at right now with Alabama. Auburn. We talked about transfer wide receivers from Auburn, and they did a good job filling that need. But a guy to keep an eye on, sophomore, redshirt sophomore, or I think a true sophomore, Jay Fair. I remember when I was at UCF, the Texas Standard, we recruited him some. He can win at all three levels and apparently is pushing uh, Johnson uh, to for the slot receiver position right there. And so he's competing for that starting job, getting the second reps. But don't be surprised if he comes out. A lot of the noise from Auburn or a lot of the big news will be the guys they got from the transfer portal, which they did a great job. But watch out for Jay Fair. And then I'm also intrigued, last thing here um, from Auburn, is just how good can Jason Jones be, the Oregon transfer, and then after him, Justin Rogers, the Kentucky transfer. Auburn's run defense, we talked about it last time. I think they gave up what were they, 170 yards or more in six or more games last year, at least 170 yards. They were awful in the run defense. That was on the end, that was on the defensive line. That's on the backers. But it starts up front on the, on the, defensive, on the interior defensive line with Jason Jones and then Justin Rogers. All solid players, but they need a little bit more depth. That's something I'm starting to keep an eye on as we keep locking in on fall camp is the interior of Auburn's defensive line has to step up, and the run defense in general has to be improved. Like I mentioned before in an episode, they can just give up 140 yards a game. That's 50th in the country last year. You no longer have to shut teams down or run defense only averaging, hey, like 2011 Alabama defenses, oh, they only average like one yard, 1.2 yards per carry. Nine, it's not that anymore, but you can't be giving up 170 on the ground. Let's just put it that way. So it's something to keep an eye on there. Auburn, sneaky receiver. Don't be surprised you hear Jay Fair's name. And then also be on the lookout for depth and just keeping healthy in the interior defensive front for Auburn between Jason Jones, Justin Rogers, and sometimes Marcus Harris, but he's more of a three tech. But those would be some things to keep an eye on uh, from the fall camp report down on the Plains. Heading to Fayetteville, heading to Arkansas, the Ozarks. Sam Pittman man, just feels real comfortable, and I can't tell if he really feels good or is this just him being him, man. I mean, quote here, installation-wise, I'd say we're probably, uh, what, we were six days into practice. I'd say we're probably 75 80% on both sides of the ball what we're going to install, Pittman said. We'd still have probably the early part of next week to finish up the install. I like what we're doing. I feel real comfortable. I mean, Sam Pittman's usually a laid-back guy. Uh, he's going to tell you it like it is, almost like 
a really nice just uncle you love. Oh, Uncle Sam, it's always going to be loving you up. That's kind of what I feel for him. So, again, Arkansas, weird vibe this year. Again, two new coordinators. Danny knows on offense. Travis Williams coming over from defense. You can throw Marcus Woodson in coming over from Florida State is the co-DC as well. But um, in Arkansas, it's getting weird as time as fall camp comes. Can't really get a real vibe on them. I still have my thoughts, but they seem real comfortable with themselves right now. Uh, I mean, if KJ Jefferson can just improve his accuracy in the short intermediate game, it's going to go a long way with this Danny No system. My fear the whole time, Clint, Clint said, I think he had him as sixth in the SEC, KJ Jefferson, his sixth quarterback in the SEC. Just putting Danny Nose, not saying he's doing this, but he doesn't need to do this, putting too much on KJ Jefferson's plate. He doesn't need to be going through progressions. He needs to be comfortable in what Kendall Bryles allowed him to do. Once he gets comfortable in his own skin, um, He's a good quarterback, good college quarterback, improvision, throws the ball well enough, throws, has good touch on deep ball. It's just the short intermediate throws that Danny Enos' system usually requires their quarterback to make. So that's what makes me uh, six hitting bad. just think he's ranked a little too high, top four. I'm not ready there yet, and he may prove me wrong. But, again, if he can improve on the short intermediate game, his accuracy in the short intermediate game, the defense be serviceable. It can only kind of be better. I mean, they did lose some personnel, lost their best defensive player in Drew Sanders, outside linebacker DN, but they should be some kind of improvement. I can't imagine it being too worse. And then the offensive line just being above average, this team could win eight, nine games. I don't think all three of those things are going to happen. That's a, that's a lot to ask with two new coordinators uh, switching an offensive system. So that'll be uh, interesting, some things to keep the development on in Arsenal, but really comfortability, I feel like, I don't really know where Arkansas is right now. And it's nothing against Arkansas's uh, media. They're pretty optimistic pro-media, which that's, that's fine. So you can't really get a real vibe. From talking to some people in the building, it's real hush-hush, close-knit. They're not saying a whole lot. They feel good about their team. Uh, I think you, you sent some some depth issues on the offensive line. You can say that about a lot of teams. K.J. Jefferson, they say they, say they love him. They say they like him a lot. I'm still waiting for that progression. Want to see that A&M game early in the season. Heck, even the BYU game. Um and then the defense, man, I, I just think some of its personnel, I think they're going to play with their hair on fire. That's what Travis Williams does. Great motivator. Remember, he's a former college player, played starting – he was the linebacker next to Carlos Dansby at Auburn. Um, really good college player. Him and Marcus Woodson will have those kids. They'll, he'll get the most out of them. For, those kids are going to play hard until they hear the whistle. You'll hear that. I know that doesn't always translate to wins, but recruiting will step up. This Arkansas defense may not be good this year. Next year, kind of keep an eye on it, though. But heading to Baton Rouge. Fall intel from LSU. First off, it just screams madhouse. The LSU defensive coordinator is going to be able to have flexibility, I think, with this defense, especially in his front seven. I think you're going to see multiple blitz packages, disguises coming. Because I like I like the front seven thing. Stay healthy. And get, like I said, get some depth that they're Mason Smith and Makai Wingo on the inside. Very similar to Auburn. I mean, obviously the ceiling's higher with LSU guys, but depth, again, is kind of concerning. Keep it, keep it on Denver Harris. I've been here winning a lot of one-on-one battles I think he may win that one of those starting cornerback positions at LSU and also from a depth standpoint on the defensive tackle going back to that the West Virginia transfer Jordan Jefferson could be that guy could be the difference if Mason Smith doesn't is a winnable guy this year and is solid and he just doesn't completely come back from the ACL tear and I've always had my questions with Mason Smith if he can either strike and shed I, I trust him a little bit in the run game he turns a little bit I don't know if he just strikes takes it on puts a face mask on somebody and strikes and shed I don't know if I see that as much with him maybe that comes on this year Mason Smith good player 
I think that would take him to an elite level. Um, but again, Jordan Jefferson, the West Virginia transfer, he could provide some depth. That would be massive for LSU. And then Jane Daniels, we talked about a little bit with Clint, just finding the balance of what worked at the end of the year and having that confidence in year two in this league as a quarterback to be a little bit more arrogant, be a little bit more arrogant with your arm. Uh, I mean, he did not turn the ball over last year, but it really didn't feel like LSU really become themselves at the end until he started to have a feel in the pocket when to take off and go get those 15, 18 yards. I mean, look at the first play in the in overtime against Alabama last year. Took off, scored. Him having a feel for that, I think the second year in the conference, him gaining weight will really help him. So if Jaden Daniel, Daniels can just have that mindset of just finding that balance of what worked at the end of the year last year and then just taking it to that next step from just a – comfortability standpoint from, hey, I'm, I've been in a pocket in the SEC before. I know when to take off. I know how fast these guys are. Can they chase me down from the backside? Also, hey, anticipating throwing windows, stuff like that. I think he is. I think he will be. I think Jaden Daniels is going to have a great year. But those are some things on the body. The versatility Madhouse is going to have, I think, with that front seven. Depth, Jordan Jefferson, if he can help out Madhouse's defense up front with Mason Smith, Makai Wingo, Jordan Jefferson, West Virginia, he could be a big need. Um, and then finally, like I said, Jane Daniels, just taking that next step, finding that middle ground, taking that next step, being a year two starter in the SEC. Uh, Ole Miss heading to Oxford. Again, a little SEC West camp intel. Uh, Centurion Perkins, dude's a freak. Dude's a freak. The Raleigh, Mississippi linebacker native that everybody wanted that Ole Miss beat, out for, beat Alabama out for. Uh, went back and watched his highlights in the state championship this year when Raleigh won it. Dude, just a complete man versus boy game. Dude, in the state championship. I mean, it's 3A football, but again, he's playing running back and linebacker. I mean, he's looking like Bo Scarrow, Derrick Henry back there at running back, and then he's going to go make tackles and thudding people up and driving people into the ground and pushing people backwards. I mean, he was all over the place. Man versus boys in that competition. Guys may be the best inside linebacker since Patrick Willis at Ole Miss. Bold statement. Call me crazy, but I, I truly believe that. Um, Perkins, I mean, named MVP of the Mississippi Alabama All-Star Game where he notched 10 tackles, three tackles for a loss, finished his high school career with over 5,000 all-purpose yards on offense to go along with 267 tackles and 10 sacks. Teammates, this is a quote from Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste, the UCF linebacker It is now at Ole Miss. Quote the other day, he's going to be a baller, man, in regards to Perkins. I love his high energy, high motor. He'll be a big baller for this defense for sure. Uh, that's from, again, Jeremiah Gene Baptiste, the UCS transfer. And speaking of Ole Miss inside linebacker room, Austin Keys left. He transferred to Auburn. But they replaced – I think Ole Miss raised the floor in their linebacker room from last year. They brought, like I mentioned, Jeremiah Gene Baptiste from UCF, was a solid player, winnable player at UCF. Monty Montgomery, the Louisville transfer, inside linebacker. And then, obviously, Perkins. We just discussed it, discussed about discussed him. This may be the most depth Ole Miss has at the inside linebacker uh, that they've had in a while, um, at least under Lane Kiffin. You like what they do? It's just a, can Jeremiah Jean Baptiste produce at the level uh, he did in the AAC this year in the SEC? But I think they did raise the floor up in that room. So that's a good job, Ole Miss. But again, going to the other side of the ball, running back depth concerns me. Ulysses Bentley, who's supposedly the backup running back for Ole Miss, remember he transferred from SMU last year. Didn't hear a whole lot about him just because Zach Evans and Quinchon Judkins got most of the uh, carries. But he has some kind of quad issue being held out a little bit. I don't think it's long-term. He'll be fine first week. But, again, those can be nagging, lingering injuries. All it takes is one shot in week four or week five, and you re-aggravate it. 
and you're just never there the whole year. You're 70, 75%. Again, they just added an Oregon State transfer, but depth, I mean, you just – Quinchon Judkins can't be taking 25, 30 carries a game. I know, and I, I know Lane Kiffin's smart enough to understand that too, but running back depth at Ole Miss, and that's not talked about. Everybody talks about Quinchon Judkins, and he's a great player in his own right, obviously. Best, running, best freshman running back in the country last year. It's more by committee approach these days. They need some depth. I don't know if they're really going to miss Zach Evans as just the overall player. He, tremendous talent through the roof. They will to some extent, but just the extra depth of a guy who can really be a solid running back this league, I think they're going to miss. I don't know if Ulysses Bentley is that guy. Uh, and then the who they just took from Morgan State, I don't know if he's that guy either. But I know Quinchon Judkins is. But after that, big question mark in Oxford. So from our just to wrap up, Ole Miss, some fall camp until – Centurion Perkins, just a dude, a dude. Patrick Willis clone, just hear it first. Anybody who's kept up recruiting, any you Ole Miss fans out there, I, I don't have to tell you who he is. You know who he is. Fantastic linebacker. Uh, Ole Miss raised the floor up in their inside linebacker room with the addition of Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste, Monty Montgomery, and like we mentioned, Perkins. And then Ole Miss just running back depth. It's already, some injuries are already not mounting up, but there's already some nitpicky injuries already over their number two guy, Ulysses Bentley. They need to find some depth after Quinchon Juckins to get through a 12-game season in this conference. Uh, moving across the state, Mississippi State and Startville. Uh, right now we're going to start off all, the skill position player on offense. It looks like the rotation right now is Justin Robinson, Tulu Griffin, Xavion Thomas, and Ryland Godet lined up in their, um, what would I assume be their 11 personnel right there, uh, lined up at the tight end spot. So, um yeah, that would be the other 11 personnel out there. They'd be in their 11 personnel. Just look at their depth chart right now. So they're 11 personnel. That's who they're starting off with. Justin Robinson, Tulu Griffin, Xavion Robinson, Ryland Griffin. Oh, sorry, and Ryland Goaty. They can Georgia transfer at tight end. Uh, first, I don't really have as much as concern. I was talking on Twitter with some Mississippi State fans the other day about the concern about their offensive line, which is a story for another day. I think it's a system to, uh, a system switch that'll be interesting. That's more technique-wise than it is just the overall system. The footwork is different with the offense Kevin Barbe is bringing to the system than what Mike Leach ran. It just is. It is. Go ask any offensive lineman who played. Cole Kublik, I've heard him talk about it. He's mentioned it before. The footwork's just different. I'm not overly concerned about it. I just think at the beginning of the season it could be an adjustment. And honestly, I'm not real worried about the receivers, honestly. I think they'll be fine when you throw in the mix that they added a tight end. They probably built a tight end room at Mississippi State. They hadn't had one in a while. Uh, but it's a joke with Mike Leach. They, with Mike Leach, they never use tight ends. But with the addition to Riley Goatee from Georgia and Jorcavia Spivey from TCU, I think they're going to help too uh, from that standpoint. So I think the offense is going to be fine. Moving to the defense, first guys out of the safety group, which is a total battle. Alabama transfer Marcus Banks. Uh, they got Sean Preston, Jacoby Albert, and the Skelly part of practice. The skeleton part of practice is the skill position part of practice receivers versus DBs uh, with quarterbacks involved. Uh, and then Banks would come out and Chris Keys would go take his spot. So you got Chris Keys and then Marcus Banks rotating on that perspective. But just th th that's really all the intel I've gotten from several I talked to him about it at Mississippi State, just reading some reports. That's what I've gotten. The vibe Mississippi State, I feel like they're comfortable too. But I saw Tom Hart was on Brian Haydad's show. If you don't know Brian Haydad, he's on Sports Talk Mississippi, big Mississippi State guy. But Tom Hart was on his show. It's not very high on Mississippi State. Just thought they could be a solid team with a losing record, which is interesting. I don't really understand that. Uh, people are just assuming State's going to have a losing record. I mean, I looked at the schedule for we got on today. They need to go two and three or three and two in the South Carolina, Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky, and Ole Miss games. 
need to go two and three or three and two. South Carolina on the road, Arkansas on the road, Auburn on the road, but they get Kentucky to Ole Miss at home. I think they can get two of those. I think get. I bet the, I'd be shocked if they didn't get one of the Kentucky to Ole Miss games. And I think Kentucky's gonna be pretty good. Uh, just Kentucky, can they stay healthy? It's a later game in the season. Uh, they need to get one of those road games. Mississippi State needs to get at South Carolina, at Arkansas, or at Auburn. I think they'll get two out of those five. I think they'll get two out of those five. I think Mississippi State's a six and six, seven and five team, and I think their record maybe. I think they may be maybe better than a six and six, seven and five team, but the schedule's so difficult. That's really it for Mississippi State. I kind of I'm the opposite of Tom Hart. Tom Hart, in all due respect, he does a great job calling the SEC Network games in really football, basketball, and baseball, but. He was kind of being like a five and seven. They could be better. I think it could be a six and six, seven and five team. And they may be a little better than that. So I'm giving them an extra win or two. Again, next Thursday will be my SEC uh, West predictions, SEC East predictions, entire SEC predictions will be next week. I just want to talk about Mississippi State a little bit more. The skill position outside on offense, it looks like they got the rotation and then trying to figure out who's going to start in the secondary specifically at safety. They need Marcus Banks, the Alabama transfer to step up. Uh, and then finally, last SEC West team, last camp intel from the West, Texas A&M. Uh, really going to focus on the secondary here because the depth of the secondary and talking to the A&M staff is their biggest concern. People will be like, what about the Bobby Petrino, Jimbo Fisher marriage? No, no, I'm, I'm fine with A&M's offense. It's going to be on their defense, front seven all the way to the back. Can DJ Durkin, like I've mentioned a million times on this episode, can he take that jump in year two like he did at Ole Miss? The Ole Miss defense was not very good in 2020. They took that step in 21. The AM defense, not very good last year. Can they take that step in Durkin's second year? Like I mentioned on Monday show, the Boston College transfer, Josh DeBerry, a guy you can tell has played a lot of reps, very, very smart, intellectual guy, veteran college football player. And then true freshman Javon Thomas are both impression, impressing in different ways, and that's great for a They need some depth. DeBerry doesn't have the natural ability or overall athleticism uh, that Thomas does, but you can tell, like I said, plays a lot of snaps and understands communication on the back end with his teammates is really important. Talking to AM staff, reading practice reports, you're hearing him before you see him. You're hearing DeBerry operating, checking, checking. Hey, I got him. He's coming in motion. He's coming in motion. Stuff like that. Communication. I think people forget at times communicating on defense is very important. And for the fans at home, they got to do hand motions. Sign language to an extent in layman's terms at these home games. When you're being loud, they got to communicate even better because they can't hear one another. So communicating on the back end is very important. I think that was an issue with Alabama's secondary some last year, just getting a little uh, off topic. But Thomas, meanwhile, is the overall better athlete out of the two. I mean, if I was going to go a man-on-man situation, he's playing man the whole way. I'm taking Thomas just because I think he'll be able to run and be able to run vertically with receivers. But, again, this is something A&M – I feel like Phil's real comfortable. They feel really good about their team. I'm telling you, talk about the secondary. If they can get that, the depth going. Now the concern is the uh, um, Damari Richardson has been out a little bit. Um, this, the, I think the last two days, let me make sure for that, that he's been out the last two days and the run defense is really going down. The run defense, from what I hear, Damani Richardson, he was out last week. He was out for one practice, but apparently it was on the Sunday open practice. The run defense, usually he's coming down thudding. He's a safety coming down and filling the box. They didn't really feel like they had that when he was out. So if, keep an eye on that. If Damani Richardson, let's, let's hope he does. If he goes down for any kind of reason, injury, whatever it may be, that could hurt the AM run defense right there. That could change the way um, DJ Durkin disguises stuff. 
pre-post-snap. So be be interested in that. From talking to people over there, they're worried. If he actually went out, that would be a bigger loss in the run game than the passing game. But, again, secondary is what it keeps A&M up at night, really the depth uh, over there. I mean, yeah, Tyreek Chappelle already, I think, he's won one of the cornerback position jobs. But over the overall depth and guys like Thomas and DeBerry stepping up and Richardson staying healthy, I think is going to be key. But, again, I like A&M from top to bottom. I think they have the best receiving corps in the country or in the SEC. Uh, I think Connor Weeman's going to be a, one of those gamer type guys. I think he's going to be better in games than he is in practice. Then they got running back depth, like Le'Veon Moss. I think Ruben Owens, true freshman, is going to have a good year. Like Jake Johnson, the tight end. Uh, and then on defense, they just they, they should improve. I think DJ Durkin's going to let his guys play, and they've signed so many top guys on the defensive line. J- j- just let them hunt. Just let your guys hunt. And this said, just the secondary depth. That's what they're concerned about. But. That is it for today's episode. We cover a lot. We reviewed the Johnny Manziel documentary, pros and cons to it. Thought they could have went a little bit more in depth. The Florida one, Swamp Kings, is coming out here soon. I'm sure that'll be a little bit shorter than it probably was. I just wish they'd go a little bit more in detail on stuff. But overall, it's great. Sad a little bit for Johnny Manziel. But again, I love the way Johnny Manziel's agent handled himself. Those were great stories behind the scenes story that that guy, the fourth string quarterback, taking drug tests for him for the pass at AM. Just crazy. You knew all this stuff was happening, but you didn't know in depth how, how much it was happening. That's coming from a guy that worked at Texas AM. I mean, I got real close with the officer uh, in 2013 that was kind of his handler. And he has crazy stories I can't tell in here, but just. If you've heard the stories, some of it's probably true from the piece of that week in Atlanta and this game I'm talking about. Remember, this is when Johnny Manziel and um, Texas A&M were down to Duke and David Cook, big at half, came out where Johnny Manziel's last game at A&M had the massive comeback in the Peach Bowl against A&M on New Year's Eve night, one of his more famous games along with the 2012 Alabama game. But ugh, crazy game, maybe story for another episode. We So we talked Johnny Manziel, reviewed that. We got Clint Brewster, 24-7 sports project evaluator, recruiting analyst, going over him ranking all his power five starting quarterbacks. We talked in depth about some SEC guys. Uh, he's really looking forward to seeing Devin Leary, Spencer Rattler, Joe Milton, uh, seeing how much Jane Daniels progresses as a quarterback, stuff like that. We went in depth on that. And then I gave you my SEC West uh, camp intel update there. So remember, next week, uh, we're on again Monday live, 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time Zone. And then Thursday, I will give you a full episode just dedicated to SEC predictions. But again, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Mock 10 Sports, and I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Keep following us on Mock 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.